You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Pray with me. Father in heaven, holy, 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 holy is your name. Lord, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray for your presence to be here now. Pray that you work through the words that I will give. And I pray that whatever is true in them would be received. Lord, that we would know you and love you more through this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, for those who have not seen me up here uh, preaching before, uh, my name is Pastor Marty. And I am the pastor of care and community here at River City. And as you probably know, uh, if you've attended here in the last few weeks, that we are currently going through a series, going through the book of Luke. However, uh, this week we are going to be taking a one-week break from that uh, to do a single stand-alone sermon on the topic of prayer. See, this past week, uh, Pastor Jake was out of town, and uh, I had it on my heart already that I wanted to do a teaching on prayer. I already had been working on it, so it made sense for this week to be able to plug this into the rotation. So I'm sorry if you were coming here today hoping to hear the conclusion of Luke 17. Uh, If you were, you'll just have to come back next week, because I know that's on the plan. So as I said, the topic for our time this morning is on prayer. And the reason why I chose uh, this topic is actually kind of personal. Really, it's just because I wanted to spend some more time studying prayer. That's one of the perks of being a pastor, is if you want to spend hours researching a spiritual topic, there's a place for that. But my desire wasn't just to learn about prayer. Our study of God's word should never be just head knowledge. Through my study, I really wanted to improve my prayer life. And more specifically, I wanted to grow in my confidence in prayer. And so I pray this morning that the Lord uses this message to bless all of us, that we would grow to pray more biblically, that we would pray with more faith and pray with more confidence. And that is my main point for us today. It's simply that, pray with confidence. Now, prayer is an incredibly large topic, certainly more than can be covered in a single sermon. I can only cover a single sliver of what there is to say about prayer. 
So before we jump into our passage, the first thing I want to do is start by narrowing down the aspect of prayer that we're going to be talking about this morning. See, there are many different types of prayer. There are many different reasons that we go to the Lord. The first is that there are prayers of praise or adoration. Josh mentioned this when he was opening up his prayer for us this morning. These are prayers in which we declare how awesome God is. I think of Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Prayers of praise shouldn't just be factual statements about God that we are repeating back to him, but rather they should come from an overflow of our heart, similar to how we might praise a a great dinner, how we'd praise a football play or a beautiful sunset. How much more should be our praise for God Almighty? I hope that your prayers are full of praises that bring glory to God and joy to your heart. The second kind of prayer is thanksgiving. And very similar to praise, thanksgiving also should come from an overflow of the heart, except this time with gratitude to the Lord. I think of Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Prayers of thanksgiving are so good for our hearts. They help us to remember all that God has done for us. They can keep us from discouragement, from despair, and they can keep us from pride or bitterness as well. The third kind of prayer that Josh also mentioned today are prayers of confession in which we confess our sins to the Lord. An example of this is found in Psalm 51. After David had sinned with Bathsheba, he prayed, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, we are all sinners. We all feel the guilt and the weight of our sin from time to time. Confession with repentance is the way to forgiveness. Prayers of confession restore a right relationship with God that may have been fractured from our sin. So each of these are different reasons why we come to the Lord in prayer. However, none of them are the types of prayer that I want to talk about this morning. Today, I want to talk about what is probably the most common prayer that you hear in your community group. It's a type of prayer that can either dominate a person's prayer life or it might be avoided altogether. It's a type of prayer that probably causes the most questions and the most confusion. And that is called prayers of supplication. Or to put it more simply, asking God for stuff. This is the type of prayer I want to dig into this morning. And the reason I want to 
is because I do think that there's a lot of confusion in this area. I think people have a lot of questions, and I think a lot of people have experienced hurt and disappointment for asking for things in their life and them never coming to fruition. So let's get started and see what we can learn from the Word of God about this type of prayer. Now, as I was trying to decide which passage to base my message on this morning, one particular passage jumped out, and that is Matthew 21, 18 to 22. Strike team, you can come forward now. I know they've been waiting for me. Uh, Matthew 21, 18 to 22. So you can start turning there in your Bibles. We'll be looking at a number of texts today, but this will be our starting point. Now, I have to tell you that I did not choose this passage because I like this passage. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. I chose this passage because I struggle with this passage. I struggle to make sense of what Jesus is really saying here. It almost seems too incredible of a passage to take seriously. See, I've often looked at this text, tried to understand it, got confused, and moved on, right on to the next verse. And I didn't want to do that this time. So I decided, instead of ignoring our passage, that I would take it head on. And so I did. I took it head on, and to be honest, my head still kind of hurts from doing so. Even now, I don't claim to understand it completely, but I'm going to approach this humbly and prayerfully. So with all that introduction, let's get into it. Let's see what the Lord has for us today from his word. Matthew 21 18 to 22. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord for us today. If this was your first time ever reading the Bible, what do you think would be your interpretation of this passage? See, it seems to be saying, on face value, if we have faith and if we don't doubt, then everything we can ask for will be granted to us, as if we had our own personal genie. We will basically be given superpowers. We'll be throwing mountains into the sea. Now, I don't even think Superman 
or Yoda would have had that kind of power. Jesus seems to be saying that all we need to do is believe and we'll be able to harness the power of God himself and freely wield it however we wish. Now, if this were the case, this would be the most incredible and oddly neglected passage in all of Scripture. Is that really what Jesus is trying to say here? Well, I think the answer to that is pretty obviously no. There is, this is not the pattern of prayer that we see in the New Testament. This is not the pattern of prayer that we see in 2,000 years of church history. We haven't, we haven't seen any superhuman mountain throwers. Jesus did not intend for his words to give us superpowers. So it's easy to decide what the passage does not mean, but it's much more difficult to interpret what the passage does mean. Why did Jesus speak this way in such absolute terms? He obviously was trying to teach us something about prayer. The question is, what? So to understand this passage better, I think we need to first remember that Jesus often spoke using what is called hyperbolic language. Or in other words, Jesus often used some very extreme words to make his point. For example, Jesus once said that in order to be worthy of him, we must hate our parents, we must hate our spouse, and even our children. Now, this doesn't seem to line up with the character of Jesus that we know, and it also seems to contradict completely the commandment to honor our parents. In this situation, Jesus did not intend to be taken hyper-literally. At another time, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, then you should pluck it out. Yet we know that Jesus did not literally intend for his followers to go around maiming themselves permanently to be saved from judgment. In these scenarios and more, we see that Jesus used exaggeration to make a point. And I think that is what is happening here. Jesus is teaching with some extreme language to make a point, but it is not to be taken absolutely literally. Now, right there, what I just said actually makes me a little uncomfortable. I never want to be the type of person who reads a passage and says, well, that's not really what Jesus meant, and then just insert my own ideas. May the Lord protect me from ever manipulating the word of God in such a manner. So instead of just assuming Jesus' words, to assuming his meaning, to understand what he is saying here, we need to look elsewhere in the Bible to see what other teachings Jesus and the other biblical authors give about prayer. We need to use the Bible to help us interpret the Bible. So we're going to look at some other similar passages on prayer where Jesus or another author 
also teach about receiving whatever we ask in prayer. And there are actually quite a few. The first is the parallel text to this Matthew account, which is found in Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, 23 to 24. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. There are three such verses in the book of John. John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And the last one we will be looking at does not come from Jesus himself, but from the Apostle John in 1 John 5. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. All right, so notice first how each of these passages, still on the screen, uh, each of these passages all give a very similar teaching. Ask and you will receive. They all even use the same phrase, whatever you ask or whatever you wish in one verse. But each of these passages also adds a little information to the puzzle they also give some kind of condition for our prayers to be answered. If we add our Matthew passage to the list, here's a list of conditions that are given for which our prayers are dependent. Number one, ask in faith and do not doubt, from Matthew 21, 22. Number two, do not doubt, but believe that your request will happen, Mark 11. Number three, ask in Jesus' name that the Father may be glorified in the Son, John 14. Number four, abide in Jesus and have his words abide in you, from John 15. Number five, bear much fruit and ask in Jesus' name, John 15. And last, number six, ask according to God's will, from 1 John Chapter 5. As we can see, looking at a wider selection of passages, we get a better understanding of the whole picture of how we ought to pray. So we're going to take some time now to look closer at some of these conditions 
as I'm calling them, to answered prayer. I've, com- I've combined some of them together to give us three points. Point number one, pray in faith. Point number two, pray according to God's will that the Father may be glorified. And point number three, abide in Jesus and have his words abide in you. Let's take a few moments to look at these and see what principles we can learn about prayer. Number one, pray in faith. From our passage in Matthew, as well as its parallel in Mark, we see that a key aspect to prayer is that we have faith and believe that God will answer our prayers. This teaching is actually not unique to Jesus, but it's also given in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. It's the same principle. Believe that your prayers will be answered. Sadly, I think this is something that a lot of us fail at in our prayers right off the bat. We pray often half-hearted, sometimes only half-interested prayers without really any expectation that God will do anything. We come to the Lord in prayer not with eager expectation of what God is going to do, but because we feel like We're supposed to. And because of this, the moment we stop praying, often we immediately forget what we had just prayed for. I'm often guilty of this myself. We often pray faithless prayers. Perhaps at the end of community group, someone comes up to you and says, can you pray for my sick grandmother? And you say, absolutely. So you close your eyes, you fold your hands, and you ask God to heal your friend's sick grandmother. But inside, you're just going through the motions. You're saying the right things, but you don't actually have it in your mind that God could actually use your prayers to heal your friend's sick grandma. You're just doing it as a matter of politeness. My friends, This is the kind of prayer that James seems to be saying that we should not expect anything from. We are supposed to ask in faith, believing that God can do all things and that because of our prayers, things will be different. He will literally change the course of human history because of our prayers. That is truly incredible. Do you believe it? Do you pray this way? Do you pray with faith, believing that God will answer your prayers? Or do you pray empty words to the ceiling because that's the Christian thing to do? 
We need to come to our Heavenly Father with confidence that He hears us and truly desires to answer our prayers. But I know what some of you are thinking, because it's what I would be thinking. I've tried that. I've prayed before and asked with all the faith, with all the belief that I could muster inside my heart, and still nothing happened. What about that? Well, let's go on to condition number two. Point number two, ask according to God's will that the Father may be glorified. We read this earlier in John 5. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. As Jesus taught us to say in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you don't know Old English, your will be done, your kingdom come. Jesus himself modeled this type of prayer for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. In agony over his soon-coming crucifixion, Jesus cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus, who couldn't possibly have had more faith, submitted his requests to the Father's will. We read earlier in John 14 that God answers our requests that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The purpose of our prayers should always be God-centered, intended for His glory, in line with His purposes. Imagine that I prayed today, Lord, I pray that tomorrow morning I would get a check in the mail for $10 million. I ask this so that I can build a bigger house, so I can have nicer clothing, so I can eat better food and go on better vacations. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Could that prayer really be given in Jesus' name? Was that prayer desiring God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done? No. What was the motivation of this prayer? It was all self. It was self-motivated by a desire, or it wasn't motivated by a desire for God's glory. It didn't desire greater righteousness, sanctification, holiness, or benevolence towards others. It just wanted to be more comfortable and happy. That prayer was essentially asking God to make my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't think there's anyone here who would likely expect that prayer to be answered. But that was an easier one. It's not always so straightforward. How about this prayer? Lord, I ask that you keep my family safe from the flu that is going around. I've said this prayer many times. I really don't like getting sick. I really don't like having sick kids. 
I really don't like getting up multiple times during the night with feverish children. So I pray often for the health of my family. What do we think of this prayer? Is it better than the last one? The first prayer was obviously self-seeking, not centered on God in the least. But was my second prayer any better? Both prayers were motivated by a desire to be comfortable and more happy. Was the second prayer more righteous than the first? The answer could be. See, it's not wrong to pray for good health. I want to be very clear on that. It is not wrong to pray for God to remove stressful things from our lives. The Bible is filled with people who did that. The Israelites cried out to the Lord during their slavery in Egypt for them to be free. Over and over in the Psalms, we read of David praying for relief from his enemies and from his suffering. The early church prayed for Peter's rescue when he was in prison. God wants us to come to him with our problems. It is good to bring all of our cares, all of our concerns to God in prayer. Please continue to pray for your sick family members. Continue to pray for your financial needs. Pray for your stressful job. God cares about those things. He cares about you. But are we guaranteed that it is God's will to answer every one of these prayers? As I mentioned earlier, Peter was imprisoned and was later miraculously freed because the church prayed for him. Yet John the Baptist was imprisoned and later he was beheaded. Was no one praying for John's release? In 2 Corinthians 12, we read that Paul prayed three times for God to remove a thorn from his flesh. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, but it said that it was a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. Paul prayed for it to be removed, and I'm pretty certain he was praying with faith. Yet it was not the Lord's will to remove it. God had a greater purpose for Paul's suffering. In this case, Paul even makes that explicitly clear. He says it was to keep him from becoming conceited. Just as God's will had a greater purpose for Paul than his request, so also God may have greater purposes for us than what we request. We pray all the time for God to remove stressful things from our lives. And that's, that's good. That's okay. But look at what Romans 5 says. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
in this passage, Paul is basically saying that suffering can be purposeful, that it is often used by God as a tool for our spiritual growth. To pray against our suffering may be praying against God's greater will for our lives. So when you pray, consider, am I praying with a heart that is submitted to God's will, that says, your kingdom come, your will be done? Or are your prayers self-motivated, praying, my kingdom come, my will be done? Praying with this God-centered attitude, well, it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God's will is better than ours. And it's not just better for God. God's will is indeed better for us. When we submit our will to him, we are not giving up the pursuit of happiness for an existence of martyrdom. No. We submit to God's will because it is good for us. For God knows all things. He knows what true joy looks like. God sees our life from the perspective of eternity. When we pray, your will be done, we are submitting our plan of happiness, which is pretty short-sighted. We are submitting our plan of happiness for God's plan for our happiness. Now, this is a very big topic, and I hope that you are in a community group so you can work these things out, because I'm sure that you have many questions. At least I often do. There's a lot of questions that we could bring up. One such question that I think someone could have at this point is how am I supposed to pray with faith, which was point number one, if I'm not sure what God's will is? So let's go now to prayer condition number three. Point number three, which I'm taking from John 15, 7. Abide in Jesus and have his words abide in you. If we want to know the will of God, the way to do this is to know the word of God. The more we mature in Christ, the more we know his word, the more that our will will be transformed to be like his will. We will see the things that please God. We will understand more of his purposes for the world. Have you noticed that in yourself? Perhaps as a child, you were praying for a puppy or for a snow day from school. Now, these things are great, although I don't think they have snow days much anymore, which is sad. But as we mature in Christ, I hope our prayers become more mature. I hope that our prayers become more Christ-centered, aligned with the will of God in the word of God. When I was doing my research for this message, I went through every single one of Paul's prayers that he gave in his letters to the churches. And I made note of every single thing that he prayed for. 
And do you know the kind of things that Paul prayed for? He prayed for the churches to be united, unified. He prayed that they would be filled with joy and peace, that they would have wisdom and revelation, that they would abound in love and knowledge of God's will. He prayed for a door to open for the gospel. He prayed for the church's faith, that they'd be strengthened in every good deed and word, that the word of God would be honored, and that they would be active in sharing their faith. That wasn't all of Paul's prayers. That was just a sample that I took from them. But Paul's prayers were always kingdom-focused. And they were obviously drawn from Paul abiding in Christ, from having Christ's words abide in him. His prayers, the Apostle Paul's will, had been formed to align with God's will. Another example of this comes from one of my personal spiritual heroes, George Mueller. Mueller lived in the 1800s, and it was his life's purpose to demonstrate the power of prayer in his life. He literally made it his life's work to encourage people's confidence in prayer. You can read about it in his autobiography, which I highly recommend if you've not read that. He never asked for a donation in all of his ministry, and yet over the course of his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. He started over 100 schools, and he gave a Christian education to around 120,000 students. And everything that he did was established by prayer. So listen to this quote from Mueller on his strategy for prayer, which he nicely titled, How to Ascertain Will of God. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually just a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. Number two, having done this, I do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. Number three, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusions also. If the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the Scriptures and never contrary to them. Now this, this isn't Scripture. This is just a quote from a man of God. But, noticing how, but notice how he always sought the Lord's will from Scripture. He knew that was the primary source to understand how to direct his prayers. 
My friends, if we want to grow in our prayers, we must grow in our understanding of God's word. They go hand in hand. Not that the Bible will directly tell us what to pray for each time, but it will shape and mold our will to be more like his. Now, as I wrap up, I want to be open that there is so much about prayer that I still don't have the answers to. This message nearly touched the surface. In a couple of weeks, even, we'll be hearing Jesus' parable about the persistent widow, which teaches us to pray and to not give up. And this will further fill out our understanding of prayer. But don't wait until you understand prayer to pray. Go to the Lord today and every day. Pray continuously with all kinds of prayers and petitions. Talk to him about everything. Remember, prayers of praise, thanksgiving, confession, as well as supplication. How blessed we are to have a God who is so near to us that we can speak to him at any moment. We don't need an earthly priest to pray through, for we have Jesus Christ, our heavenly priest, and he intercedes for us. We have full access to the Father by the blood of, the, of, the, by the blood of Christ on the cross. And God loves to hear the prayers of his children. Through Christ and his sacrifice for us, we can have confidence in prayer. So go this week and pray with confidence. Pray in faith. Pray submitted to the will of God and abide in Christ and his words to guide your prayers. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you do hear us. I thank you that you are near. Lord, that you are not distant off in heaven, but you hear us right here and now, not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Lord, I ask that you would increase our faith. I ask that you help us to believe. I pray you help us to believe in your power to answer prayer. Lord, I pray your will be done, your kingdom come. Lord, I pray that you would help us to abide in you, that your words would abide in us. Lord, that we would know more of your will, that you would direct our prayers and we would see how amazing you are that you answer them. Lord, we love you and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.